0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet. Uh, Patty is socially distancing and joining us by phone, and our guest, also by phone, is Jessica Shortall. She is the executive director of Texas Competes. Texas Competes is made up of mostly businesses, and they're mostly allies. Uh, it's one of the most important things that Texas Competes does is help bring business executives, like CEOs of companies like American Airlines, to come testify in the legislature against really bad discrimination bills jessica you there i'm here um did i get the description right
1: yeah absolutely we're a coalition of almost 1500 big and small texas employers making the business case for the state to be welcoming to lgbtq people
0: so say you're a fast food restaurant and you sell right-wing chicken isn't discrimination good for your business (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, chickens have two wings, so I think uh, we can equal opportunity sell that chicken. Ah, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you no, know, I mean, you know, from tourism to talent to corporate investment and innovation, all of the data shows that a welcoming state and welcoming communities is good for competitiveness and job creation and good for tax revenues. So um, it's been shown over and over again in Texas and other states that when the state pursues, you know, cruel and discriminatory policies toward LGBTQ people, the, the businesses and, and people and the state economy suffers, uh, and now we have really good data showing that actually um, a non-discrimination policy would bring a lot of economic benefit to Texas.
0: Wait, wait, wait! That can't be. Everybody <laughs> tells <laughs> us that discrimination is good for us.
1: <laughs> it's true. I mean, the most important part about non-discrimination is the people, right? That we're not that everyone has the opportunity to work hard and. And earn a living, and put a roof over their family's head, and participate fully in their community. Wait, wait, wait! That's even
0: true. transgender people,
1: especially, and including trans.
0: Oh, okay, people that's right. And, and lesbians like, uh, like Patty Fink.
1: Hi, Patty Absolutely. Hey.
0: Well, you know, yeah. I, I, think even Texas even can even
1: straight cisgender people like me.
0: Oh, even even people
2: like.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
2: I, I remember... Revolutionary. Te- oh, it is. It is. That is. Um, I remember um, Texas competes with such a key player in the last Texas Ledge in 2019. And um, I'm sure you're poised now for 2021. What are the kinds of things you're expecting to see?
1: So, and I'll start with the good news first. Good news is we'll see a bipartisan um, non-discrimination bill filed for the first time ever. So the, the first time part being, meaning with bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, LGBT inclusive and employment, housing, and public spaces, just like the laws that exist in 21 other states around the country and work very successfully. Um, so we'll see that get filed. And, and And, you know, we've been doing events around the state sharing virtual events. To be clear, sharing we, uh, Dr. Ray Perryman, who's a renowned economist who's been looking at the Texas economy from every angle for about 40 years, did a study for us looking at would a non-discrimination law in Texas have any economic impact, and he found that even just in the first biennium, you know, Texas legislators think in two-year increments often because that's how mm-hmm. they write the budget that just in the first biennium, first two years of having a non-discrimination law, the state would benefit, would get an, an additional almost $800 million in state tax revenues and more than $500 million in local tax revenues. That's just two years. So we're talking over time, hundreds of thousands of jobs all over the state, um, boost to tourism and tech, big and small business. So that's the good news, that we'll see um, and, and, Representative Jessica Gonzalez from Dallas is the, will be the lead offer on the House side.
0: So where would that money be coming from? Uh, would it be new businesses coming to to Texas that right now are hesitant to come here?
1: I think it's, I think a lot of it is uh, we may see some new businesses come, although businesses come already to Texas, of course. Um, I think it is um, a couple of things. So one is um, expanded competitiveness for tourism business. But tourism is really important. When we think about getting a little Wayback Machine and go to 2017 and the bathroom bill wars, um, even though the state didn't end up passing a bathroom bill, Texas cities lost $66 million in canceled meetings and conventions. And we've worked with the Convention of Visitors Bureau's around the state to track what else was on the line if the bathroom bill had become law. And it was $1.4 billion in events. Wow. So now that, you know, these big events, sporting events, meetings and conventions, you name it, have largely been shut down because of the pandemic, when we come out the other side of it, whatever that looks like, Every city in the country is going to be fighting
0: tooth and nail for tourism business.
1: Um, and it's a kind of a blank slate, right, to pitch for
0: this business. Right, because and, everything is canceled at this right, point.
1: Right, And most, now we know from the big um, meeting and convention associations, that now almost all meeting and convention planners sent those bathroom wars of 2016 and 2017 now require in every contract a cancellation clause that says, if the host state passes an anti-LGBTQ law, we can cancel. Hmm. So we wow. know that, that um, you know, the kind of shadow of more potential discriminatory legislation will, you know, is a mark against any city that is, is pitching for that, that kind of business. So tourism business for sure. Um, and then some of it may be new companies coming in. Others may be companies that see that they can um, attract and retain such good talent to the state that they're going to expand their operations, and then, and then the rest of it is just from within the, the businesses, big and small, that already operate, when data shows over and over and over again, when people feel like they can be their full selves in their communities and at work, they're more productive, they're more innovative, um, and it benefits everybody. So it's a kind of a mix of factors that go into um, boosting the Texas economy in, in every region of the state. So that's, that's non-discrimination um, that we're excited to see filed in the new year. Um,
2: So what's the bad news?
1: uh, (laughs) Yes, bad news. Ready? (laughs) Right. So I also run a national business coalition in the same vein called America Compete. So we look across all of the states around the country for businesses, big businesses mostly, and help them understand what's going on, as well as at the federal government and the Supreme Court. So in 2020, we saw a brand new type of legislation, too files in 18 state houses around the country because um,
0: discrimination people who discriminate are so creative they lost on the bathroom bill issue so they keep coming up with new stuff
1: well this is actually what happened so around the time of a burger of marriage equality the, the big push and the big volume of bills was these these license to discriminate bills that are are um framed as religious bills Right, that if, if I can, say, apply my own personal religious tests, then I can refuse this health care to someone or housing, or I can fire them, or I can refuse them service in a shop or restaurant or kick them out of a, you know, a public place.
2: Or an adoption so agency. That,
1: yeah, or, yes, exactly. Or or refuse to place a, a child with a loving family. Um, yeah, exactly, which is law. and
2: Yeah, isn't it now. better that so
0: kids are just on the street?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have a you know we have a foster crisis in Texas, a child welfare crisis, and have for a while. And it's been shown that that um, gay lesbian couples are are much more likely to want to foster and adopt. So the need to cut that cut that off in any way is not in the best interest of of the child, of course, which is what ought to be first and foremost. Anyway, so so around the burger bell and marriage equality, that was the big foot, and we still see deals like that. We 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 saw several that failed in Texas in 2019, but. But then the bathroom thing came along, right? With The repeal of the Houston Rights Equal Rights Ordinance, they made a completely fabricated argument attacking transgender women and turned Houston's non-discrimination protections, which, is, which was just like what Dallas has, just like what Fort Worth has had for many years, um, into a, an attack on transgender women and making people afraid unnecessarily. And it worked at the ballot in Houston. So then that's how we got into the bathroom wars in North Carolina and Texas and several other states. When those fails, we now have this new attempt and a brand new attack. So it's, it's really, it's hard to even describe. These bills that we've seen, again, we've seen about 50 bills filed around the country in 2020 that specifically target transgender children and, and teenagers. Um, and so there are two types of bills. One would segregate and bar transgender children, especially transgender girls, out of being part of a team and all the friendships and belonging and health benefits of just playing on a team, a sports team with other kids. Um, And the other would would criminalize parents and doctors and nurses, in some cases with very lengthy jail sentences, uh, for providing evidence-based medical care to transgender teenagers um, related to their transition.
0: When you say evidence-based, what are you talking about?
1: Big peer-reviewed studies, study after study. Um, in the past several years that show that um, providing care, individualized, thoughtful transition care to transgender adolescents saves their lives. That their mental health then becomes like that of their cisgender peers um, and that affirming who those kids are saves their lives and that it it is medically appropriate. Every major medical association affirms that kind of care. Um, but there is a lot of talk around the country and in Texas, including one bill filed already that would criminalize that care.
2: Wow,
0: that's just sick. Yeah, it really is just sick. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't a law like that just be unconstitutional?
1: Well, so on the well, none none has passed around the country yet, so that hasn't been tested yet. And I'm not a lawyer. Um, I will say that a, one of the court bills passed in 2020. So in Idaho, even as all the state legislatures were shutting down because of the pandemic, lawmakers at the very last minute, you know, took a vote uh, and got through a bill called HB 500 that bars transgender girls from (coughs) from participating in team sports. Um, and the governor signed it into law. So it has now been that, that bill that law is not being enforced. A Trump appointed judge, um, has put that, that law under a preliminary injunction. and, And he has said in his opinion that it's cruel. Um, to humiliate children in that way. And that, that he thinks that it's likely unconstitutional. So we'll see as that works its way through the courts. On the medical side, we haven't, we haven't, um, seen a bill a or anywhere in the country become law of this nature, but I have heard lawyers, and I'm not one, um, raise concerns about equal protection. Um, you know, the ability of, of people to access health care.
0: to access healthcare, care, uh, title nine to access sports. I mean, mm-hmm. just all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah. You know, it's good that in Idaho, when things were shutting down because of COVID that's killing people, that the legislature was able to do something about transgender students. Um, um,
1: yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, in South Dakota, we saw uh, the medical bill advance. It, it, then, it then was killed on a bipartisan <laughs> basis in the legislature. And we saw a parent refer to it as a, a hope stealer for their kids. And we saw some very brave kids show up and testify about that and about the court bills. It is it definitely throws these things into sharper relief that lawmakers should spend their time on them um, in the middle of a pandemic that's affecting everyone and actually is disproportionately negatively impacting LGBTQ people. But this is really, this is not new. These bills, they sound new, but they are, they are the same exact tactic that we've seen for about six, seven years now in, in Texas legislature and elsewhere to try to confuse and scare people about who LGBTQ people are, about who trans people are. So and here's the reason why. Around the country, more than 80% of Americans support non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people. And in Texas, the number is at 70%. And it includes the majority of Texas Republicans. And that is very scary for these folks. So they're just kind of throwing everything at the wall year after year, trying different tactics to see what could possibly you know, win people back to our side. Um, because uh, we are seeing a steady march of support for non-discrimination support for non-discrimination in the country is higher than support for marriage equality wow um which already feels like a you know a completely done deal hopefully in most in most people's minds mm-hmm. um and so I think that's scary for those folks and so they're, they're trying greater and greater you know kind of fear-mongering tactics um to try to, to erode some of that support but the, you know the really sad part is that that's that the more targeted their tactics become, the more targeted people are, right? So these are putting kids under a white, white hot spotlight at a time when they need privacy more than anybody, right? When they're trying to live their lives Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, live who they are and and figure that out for themselves and what their path for is and really shredding these kids' privacy, um, which, of course, is a great irony. Right, because in 2017, we spent a regular session and a special session on the bathroom bill being told that those bills were all about children's privacy. right. Um, So we seem to be entering a phase in which children's privacy is being used as a, a, I don't know, a a flamethrower.
0: You know, one uh, policy that, it was the first policy that a uh, school district in Texas adopted. That was Fort Worth. And their policy on the bathroom bill was... You're not going to have that many transgender kids in any one school. Figure it out. Just do, do what's going to be best for that kid. And that's what sent Dan Patrick into a raging lunatic whatever rant. Um, it, and that policy was rescinded. And it was just such a sensible policy. Some kids are going to want to use the private bathroom. Some kids are going to want to use the bathroom that's appropriate for their sex. Uh, You know, the kids that just as they're transitioning or thinking about it or whatever, they're probably more likely to want a private bed. Just work it out. It's going to be one or two kids in in any one school. It's not going to be like like when we were teens and we decided to come out as gay just to piss off everybody. (laughs) Right? And and I'm I'm being facetious about that too. You know, you, you don't come out in order to cause trouble for anybody or and everybody. Else. Yeah. Ugh. But but it just seemed yeah. Fort Worth's approach was the practical approach. Work it out. You have other none, kids I mean, who have individual problems. In
1: yeah. None of it. None of it is based <clears> on <throat> any reality. And in fact we've had some of the groups behind those bathroom bills admit publicly in their own writing that they fabricated the, quote, bathroom predator argument, which is their word, um, because they needed to find a way to scare people. What well, they wanted, and they've said this very clearly, is they wanted to destroy non-discrimination protections, and the best way they could figure out at the time was to scare people about who trans people are, because maybe, maybe not a lot of people know that they know a trans person, um, and so uh, that's been the tactic for the past
2: couple of years. It makes no sense to me whatsoever that, uh, and yet it goes on and on nonstop, that the the GOP, and particularly in Texas, um, relies so heavily on fear-mongering and hate-mongering to, in order to function.
0: But that's the thing, even a majority of Republicans don't believe in this kind of well, exactly, but so, it's, I mean, that's actually, just not who we are. I, we need to take a break. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the, uh, here with uh, the late Patty Fink. Uh, Jessica Shortall, the executive director of Texas Competes, is our guest, and we'll be back with more with Jessica right after this. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet, and Patty Fink is with me today, and our guest is Jessica Shortall. She's the executive director of Texas Competes, uh, which is made up of businesses, uh, mostly uh, mostly allies, some LGBT-owned businesses, but mostly allies, and these allies do good things for us because they're against discrimination. Um Jessica, one of the things that your uh, study that you were using showed is that about 70% of Texans believe in non-discrimination. And that's equivalent yeah. to states that are considered liberal states like Oregon. Yes.
1: Yeah, same, same number in Texas and Oregon, support for uh, non-discrimination protections
0: for LGBTQ people. And That's amazing. Even in New York and California, where... where um where they have bills or they have laws in place that do protect people and nobody is being hurt by any of these bills and there aren't isn't a flood of litigation about any of these things. It's still not at a hundred percent. There are still people in those states who believe in discrimination. I don't know that the anti bills come up because it's already illegal in those states.
1: Well, yeah, you get in, in states that have non-discrimination laws in place, uh, statewide laws, there are 21 of them now. Virginia last year, this past year, became the 21st state in the country and the first in the South to have fully inclusive and comprehensive non-discrimination law. Um, you don't see many discriminatory bills passed. You will see sometimes a couple, which they know aren't going anywhere, um, the folks that filed them, but they've got their own reasons, you know, their funders are winning a primary or whatever for filing them. But I think I think the the reason it's not that the non-discrimination law being in place stops those bills being filed. It's that politicians in the state come to understand that this is not a winning political issue. That it might help them win a primary, but it's certainly not going to help them win a majority. It's certainly not going to help them govern. And so the energy goes elsewhere. Uh, And in Texas, we're just taking a long time to learn the lesson that these things don't (laughs) they don't win hearts and minds. Um, by and large, and they really don't even actually win very many primaries anymore in Texas. I mean, after the 2017 bathroom bill, we saw 12 Texas House seats split, and we saw, uh, you know, the kind of um, group of funders that that pushed for the bathroom bill and that tend to push for anti-LGBTQ bills in general, that their preferred candidates lost more primaries than one.
0: Yeah, Um, look 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 at Julie Johnson's race in 2017. Julie is lesbian. Uh, she represents the northwest corner of Dallas County. So it's, she doesn't represent Oak Lawn. She represents. Coppell, Irving, Farmer's
2: oh. Branch, Irving. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Addison.
0: Um, and she won against Matt Rinaldi, who wrote one of the bathroom bills.
2: And ironically, yep. this last, um, this, this last um, election, her opponent started out a- opposing, uh, like her big thing was, um, these health care bills for kids, for trans kids, and, you know, trying to drum up and gin up support that way. And she pretty quickly dropped it because it was going nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, Julie won her, her race handily, like mm-hmm. 57%, 58%. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. You know,
0: in a district that's not 57% Democratic. No, so, no.
2: You know. In fact, she's in one of the most most diverse areas of the country,
0: her zip codes out there are pretty, pretty wildly diverse. Right. One of the schools in her district, students speak more languages than are spoken in any other school. Oh,
2: so,
1: wow.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, Jessica, you know, we've had an influx of about, uh, in recent years, about 3 million people from out of state moving to Texas for business reasons. And, um... Recently learned that 42% of those came from California. So, what is, is there a, um, how do you handle this? And what do businesses, what is their response about coming from a place where there are protections and at the individual level for employees having to move to a state where those protections don't, do not exist, particularly for LGBTQ people? That to me seems right. like a really big hurdle to try to overcome. Is that, is, did they hear, talk about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously people are moving to Texas. There are many things that make Texas a, a really attractive place to um, live. and so people are responding to that. And we see businesses announcing, you know, Oracle just announced a move to Texas. Um, so you have businesses still coming. And yet at the same time, we do hear a very steady stream of concerns from business leaders that, that. And That has told me directly that they have lost executive searches of of you know top recruits when they say to when folks are either in the LGBTQ community and folks or have notably have children who are in the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. um, and that's why um, it's not just employment non discrimination that matters. It's a really big deal to folks to know that if they're going to put down roots in Texas or stay in Texas or or elsewhere that um, not only are they and their spouse or partner going to be protected from employment discrimination, but that their family can go out to eat together, that their kids, you know, will will feel safe as, at school um, or as safe as any other kid, um, that they can, you know, access health care without being turned away or discriminated against, and that they're not going to have to see, you know, their identities and lives and the headlines constantly every time the legislature convenes. Um, and so we have heard about loss of top recruits, um, we have companies, of course, that operate across many states, and they see this certainly as a patchwork of laws, you know, 21 states with, 29 without full protection, um, and uh, when they, they, they do have issues sometimes of saying to someone who's moving up through the company, okay, we need to transfer you and your family from state X to state Y, and if, if folks have a member of the family who's in the LGBTQ community, will say, I don't want to move my family from a place where we are you know feel safe and have the same opportunities as everyone else a place where we might not um, so we do hear that certainly and it is an ongoing concern for, for business leaders
2: I find it interesting and just to have anecdotal evidence of this but I'm, I'm sure there may be studies out there about um, people who do not identify as LGBTQ who are looking for employment and look at those non-discrimination policies as sort of a maybe a a litmus test of sorts about whether they want to apply there. I've certainly heard from dozens of people in my life, in my orbit, who have said, I'm straight, but I look at those, and if they don't include protections for LGBTQ people, I don't want to
0: work there.
1: Absolutely. We see that. I mean, we see... So, for example, 80%... uh, Deloitte did a study a couple of years ago that found that 80% of people, people, LGBTQ, non-LGBTQ, indicated that, that when they're choosing an employer, so if they're, you know, highly educated and sought after and are able to choose, um, that they, that inclusion is important to them. Oh, so what was that 80%, percentage? 80%. 80%. Yeah. Wow. 80%. Um, and so that obviously, if I just mathematically, includes a lot of people who aren't LGBTQ, and they're saying that about their employer.
0: Wait, right? 80% that's of mean, people are not LGBTQ? Uh, yeah, like that. it just um, shows how jaded i am in, in the world i <laughs> run around in
1: <laughs> jaded or lucky i don't know um uh yeah so i mean they they are saying that that inclusion matters to them and in fact it matters across ages workers of all ages and um, so it's not just millennials and and zoomers that are saying that um, and I mean, here's an example from Michigan. So J- Michigan was, you know, c- c- concerned several years ago about its brain drain. Um, and the Detroit Chamber looked at where are millennials going, and why are they leaving the state? And um, they found that 40% of Michigan graduates leave the state after they graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like, you know, tens of thousands of people leaving um, and they found that 38% of the people who left the state, again, this has got to be more than just LGBTQ people are moving to more inclusive, LGBTQ inclusive areas. And they concluded from the study that, that the lack of protections in a climate that where people don't feel welcome is losing not just LGBTQ folks, but other folks as well. Um, there's also uh, there's a study that was in the Harvard Business Review uh, maybe four years ago, peer-reviewed study that showed that um, workers in general who favor non-discrimination and inclusion of LGBTQ people, they trend better educated, more open-minded, more likely to come from diverse backgrounds, and more willing to take risks, um, and all of those traits correlate with higher creativity, more innovation, and this study found that actually the states that pass non-discrimination attract more people like that to the state, and then, and then the firms in those states file more patents than the states that don't have protection. So, I mean, there's, like, tangible benefits that come from mm. telegraphing to everybody that this is a state that is looking forward
2: instead of backward. So, when we're talking about non-discrimination in Texas and filing a bipartisan bill, we could take all of what you just said and overlay that and say, look at the difference it's made in other states, mm-hmm. and and how they break in terms of patents filed and, and and all of those things. And like when we talk about these billions that we're going to lose out, it's not just not gaining people, not gaining businesses. It's we could lose people to those yep. other states. Yep. Wow.
1: Yes. Um, And, and, you know, it would would cost us nothing to implement it. We already, Texas already has uh, employment and housing non-discrimination laws on the books that protect other folks on the basis of race and religion and national origin and sex. Um, Texas doesn't have a public accommodations law. It's a little bit unusual in that compared to other states. So, you know, ability to go into a bank or a restaurant or what have you and be served Mm -hmm. um, without discrimination based on who you are. Um, But, you know, Texans generally have agreed for a long time, based on these laws being in place and employment and housing, that discrimination is wrong and that it hurts people and that turning people away from basic opportunities just based on who they are isn't who we are. So this isn't unheard of. Um, It's just that there has been some political gain made or hopes to be made by going after LGBTQ people, and it seems to be taking us a while to learn the lesson that, A, it doesn't really work, B, it hurts people, and C, it leaves a lot of money and economic benefit on the table unnecessarily.
0: Mm-hmm. Going back to the reasons that 80% want non-discrimination, is it just that simple that people are just looking for a company that's just open to ideas, and who yes. you are is falls under that category?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it it really is that simple. That non-discrimination feels to most Americans like a, an established, agreed-upon concept.
0: And for somebody going to work for a company that only sells the right wing of a chicken, um, what what keeps people away from that? It doesn't. If it doesn't affect them, why would they not want to work there? Are they afraid? That the company is going to find something else to discriminate against them about
1: well that's interesting i mean i think it's pro- that probably varies from person to person mm-hmm. i mean for me it's that i wouldn't want to give my time and talent working for a company that i felt didn't treat everybody as you know equally de- deserving of respect and dignity So if i had a choice i wouldn't want to do that you know most people have friends and loved ones neighbors in their life were members of the LGBTQ community. And that has that visibility and people, you know, having the courage to come out and live their lives openly has changed a lot um, in the country because most people know somebody now. Um, and some of our, you know, the founding members of the LGBTQ caucus in the Texas House have said that, but I think as I I can't remember, I apologize, I'm, I'm going to not quote who it is, because I can't remember which of those founders said it, but something like it's hard to hate up close or hard to hate in person, right, that, that when you know somebody, it really changes the dynamic. I think, you know, not, there are plenty of folks like me or cisgender and straight who don't want to, wouldn't want to participate in that. Just like I wouldn't want to work for a company that, that actively discriminates against, People on the basis of their religion
0: or their race. Jessica Gonzalez has aunt. Jessica Gonzalez has one of the funniest stories about that when uh, she was in her first term, and um, th- there are some pictures of her on the floor just chatting with Jonathan Stickland, <laughs> who's one of the more extreme members of the Texas Legislature. Um, they're in the employee lounge one day, and he was trying to set her up with his sister. <laughs> That really is something. That that is something because he was all all about all those discrimination bills. But uh, well, it does seem it does seem to me that um, people
2: who are and I've I've heard this this anecdotally as well. When employers have the bare minimum, like and you see this in employment policies all the time, you know, like a, according to state law, you know, or federal state law, and you see what's there in the little litany. Of protections that are given, um, it it tells potential employees that we'll do the bare minimum. What we'll do, that we're not looking outside the box. We're not looking beyond what we have to do. You know, you know what, what I mean? Like it's oh, what a tribe. So there, the 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 benefit and the culture that that's going to create in a business. Is I mean, you can see the writing on the wall. If they do the bare minimum, then there's no spirit of it. There's no spirit beyond
0: that. The perfect example was Exxon. Um, Mobile, which was based here or had one of its major corporate offices here in Dallas, um, and know a lot of people who work for Mobile. Mobile was one of the first companies to provide partner benefits back in the 90s. Uh, when they merged with Exxon, people I know who work for Mobile said there's no creativity here uh you know they use the most outdated software uh they're just they lumber along and that's how the mobile uh, employees would describe going into this you know it was like some uh, some exxon employees welcomed somebody i know by saying welcome back to the nineteen sixties <laughs> right so you
1: know i've heard a, 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 an anecdote I, I could tell you how many times i've told people this story because it struck me it was very early on i've been doing this for six years I started texas compete almost six years ago um, and very early on in the process when i was still talking to business leaders and saying is this is this accurate you know is there her business here for you and hearing from them in fact yes there is and we've been really looking and searching for a way to articulate it Um, I talked to one HR leader um, who told me a story and I didn't at first understand where this story was going. So maybe you'll think that too, but if you'll bear with me, I think it's worth it. They told me that, so this is a very, very big company with major operations in Texas um, and that they had an employee who came to them and was transitioning while on the job. And the company did, it sounds like, did everything right or, you know, tried very hard to do everything right. Um, They worked with the employee and they supported them, and that included um, doing a training of of managers so that managers would be prepared to support that person as well, to, you know, head off at the path any any negativity that came from other folks and so on. So, they were doing this very, very good job. So, they did this manager training of going, this is going back several years, this is what it means to be transgender, and we have a person who is transitioning, and we want you to be prepared for that and and sensitive to that and supportive and inclusive, Um, and after the meeting. A guy who had been at the company for a long time and was sort of like middle, upper, middle management came, pulled the HR leader aside and said, can I talk to you privately? And she said, yes. And and he said, I have cancer. And she was kind of, you know, taken aback because she thought it was about the training about this employee who was transitioning. And she said, why? I'm so sorry. Can I ask why you're telling me this now? And he said, well, I've had, I've been battling cancer for years. And I didn't want to tell anyone because I didn't want to get sidelined at work and I didn't want to get, mm-hmm. you know, laid off or not getting projects or whatever. So this guy had been like, like using his lunch time to go see the doctor and, you know, using vacation time for his treatment, really struggling at not being able to tell anyone at work. you know, your coworkers can be like, almost like family. You spend a lot of time with them. Mm-hmm. And he felt like he couldn't tell anyone. And he sat in this training and he said to this person, I sat here and realized if you are pulling out all the stuff and going to all of this length to support someone who is transitioning, um, then you'll support me too. And it was and, and now I you know, I now I'm not afraid anymore to tell you about my cancer diagnosis. And it was to me one of the most powerful individual examples I've ever heard of inclusion for one group of people that says to everyone, we'll have your back, you know, bring do your do your best at this job and we will we will also do our best for you and you have a place here no matter who you are um, and I think that that's, that's a really powerful message that non-discrimination and that inclusion sends to everybody whether or not the, the policy affects them personally or not
2: I sort of felt that in my chest when you were telling that I'm like oh my god yeah yeah. It's close to tearing up. That's. I mean, that's an amazing
0: yeah. thing. Well, it's a good time to take a break, Then You're listening to Lambda <laughs> Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet. Uh, Patty Fink is with me today, and our guest is Jessica Shortall. She runs a group called Texas Competes that's made up of businesses, mostly allies, some LGBT businesses, but businesses large and small across the spectrum. We'll be back with more with Jessica right after this. And this is Lambda Weekly. Jessica, I um, don't know if I told you this ahead of time, but we normally announce it now anyway. Uh, We are ending our shows at KNON at about 10 minutes to the hour in order to... Uh, wipe down all the counters, change the windscreens on the mics, uh, make sure that everything is safe here because there are so many people who are in and out of the studio even though we've limited the number of people uh, I- I'm used to having Patty and Laurent here with me every week as well as Josh on the board we can't fit that many people into the studio so we're uh, playing it safe and socially distancing But uh, I am so glad to hear that Yeah, uh, so it, we, we just end at 10 of so uh, we have about 10 more minutes. I wanted to talk about uh, those bad bills that are coming up. Um, one of them is a preemption bill. Talk about what a preemption yes. bill does and why it's so dangerous for non-discrimination, but for other stuff, too.
1: So preemption as a concept is the idea of the state, in this case, passing a law that, that stops cities and counties uh, from, from organizing their own matters. Um, so you could have, you know, so Denton's a great example or an example, I don't mm-hmm. know if you use the word great, but, um, you know, the city of Denton passed a fracking ban in gosh, I want to say maybe 2014, I'm, pr- I'm sure I'll get this wrong. Um but they they banned fracking, and then the Texas legislature preempted city Texas city's abil- uh, uh, ability to to do that.
2: Um, so, so much for uh, local control. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, this is a kind so of this was a democratic
0: law. bill because it's Republicans who believe in local control.
1: <laughs> well, the Texas legislature has been Republican-controlled for, for longer than four or five years. Oh. Yeah, um, yes, yeah. uh, and in fact, you know, I, I believe that all of the lawmakers, or the majority of the lawmakers, who voted for that uh, and and pushed for that um, preemption bill, were funded by um, West Texas fracking billionaires. So, unsurprising. So, yes, yeah, sorry, it was voters made it a local law um, in November 2014, and the Texas legislature then passed the law. Um, putting an end to the most local rules about urban drilling, um, so that's preemptive Generally, it's the state saying, nope, cities and counties, you can't uh, manage your own affairs. You can't pass ordinances or rules that do X or Y." Um, in the context of non-discrimination, of course, we have a number of Texas cities that have non-discrimination ordinances in place uh, that include LGBTQ people um, in their in their protection. So Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, Plano, with some notable exceptions. San Antonio, with some exceptions. Austin, um, El Paso. Gosh, I'm sorry if I forget something. I'm rattling this off the
0: top of my head. There are but several notably. several San Antonio uh, suburbs also have good non-discrimination bills.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, some so, small I'll ones. I'll you about that.
0: Yeah, and um, I, I wish I could so tell we, you which ones, but <laughs> I, I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna call. I'm gonna email you next week and ask you to help me remember that. So no. uh, yeah, so a preemption bill on that matter would, um, uh, we don't have, we don't have a preemption law of this type in place at the moment in Texas, but there was an effort last year, um, to pass a law that could have jeopardized those local ordinances that basically could have said, you know, anti LGBTQ activists could have taken, uh, our, our local non-discrimination ordinances to court to try to get them overturned. And we've seen these efforts happen in other states as well. Um, the, it, it's this is wonky. What happened in the last legislative session in Texas was was not actually about non-discrimination. It was about the legislature was trying to preempt cities and from uh, passing, for example, mandates on paid sick leave, um, or on you know no mandatory overtime, or um, banning the box on job applications. So um, saying that employers can't ask right away whether someone has a criminal record before you know letting them get become part of the interview process. So those kinds of things, the state legislature or notably, I should say the Republicans in the state legislature wanted to preempt, they wanted to stop cities from being able to do that. Um, the way the bill was written in 2019, uh, specifically said, this isn't meant to touch non-discrimination ordinances. Those can stay in place, but the Lieutenant governor, um, stripped that language out and put the the non-discrimination ordinances in danger. So we are likely to see a lot of preemption stuff, uh, in 2021, the Texas legislature, everything from these paid sick leave ordinances, again, trying to undo those, um, as well as things related to COVID. So we will probably see lawmakers. In fact, one has already filed bills that say that, you know, cities and counties can't impose public health restrictions, um, in a pandemic or, or a similar situation. Um, and those course, have far-reaching public health implications, but could also impact non-discrimination ordinances in our cities. Those are the only protections that any LGBTQ Texans have in law.
2: It's going to be um, interesting if if they do it in a sweeping way, because essentially what they're saying is the state of Texas, the Republicans or the Texas GOP um, wants to do the bare minimum. They want to dial it all back and do the bare minimum and not allow anybody to do anything beyond that. But in Dallas, in the city of Dallas, it's in our charter. We put it in our charter okay. by a vote of 77% of the citizens of, of the city of Dallas voted to put it in our city charter And in, in 2014. When we
0: were voting on yep. that or when we were working with the city on that, because Patty and I both sit on the mayor's uh, LGBT task force, um, the city manager came back and he was showing us all laws that um, – where the wording wasn't consistent, or it was gay but not trans, you know, and so we were trying to uh, to to get all of the wording equal across the board. And They are now. Um, but one of the things of one of the things he said when we were working on that charter amendment was he said, you know, uh, uh, veterans are not protected by the city uh, yeah. right. right now. By so the state. Said, the state. Well, but it. and the state doesn't protect veterans. So we said well, add that. I mean, we were horrified that, and there might have been one or two other groups that were uh, included when we updated the wording to put it into the charter. If there's
2: genetic uh, background. Uh, there are all kinds of things that are that are in the charter. I mean, so it, what are they well, going to do? Invalidate that's the a point charter? Of
1: inclusion is good for everybody, right? And right, sure. It's not, this isn't about special rights for LGBTQ people, which is often the argument made by you know, the folks that, that file anti LGBTQ bills. This is about saying, you know, if who you are often comes under fire or target from other people, that's not part of our values and we're not going to do that. You know, we're going to say you should have the same opportunities, that's all it is. Same opportunities as everybody else. To live, work, earn a living, put a roof over your family's head and, and participate in the community like everybody else. Um, but yeah, In a pandemic, uh, preemption um takes on you know basically and and other elements that aren't central to my work, uh, but take on a certainly a new hue. Um, and it is it is a you know kind of a one eighty to be saying at the state level, um, you you know closer to home and and closer to local and small government shouldn't handle its own affairs.
0: I just want to finish with some of the good bills that are coming. We know Jessica is putting together an omnibus non-discrimination bill, but there are other things that. Uh, different legislators are planning to file. Off the top of your head, do you know what some of those are?
1: So, um, Representative Celia Israel, uh, for example, um, her her, um, ban on conversion therapy for minors, you know, dangerous, debunked conversion therapy for minors, um, got a committee hearing last last session. Yeah, Um, (laughs) that was big. Yeah, that was big, right? So she's going to file that again. Um, Of course, there'll be, you know, code cleanup bills, um, where there's a quite a few places in Texas, Texas law that still refers to, for example, you know, parents as, as mother and father or married mm-hmm. couples mm-hmm. as man and woman. So there's those kinds of things. Um, certainly, you know, the, the Hate Crimes Act that passed many years ago, it's the only pro-LGBTQ bill ever to pass the state legislature, or I should say pro-LGB bill, um, because it includes sexual orientation, but it does not yet include gender identity. So I know there will be work on that, especially as trans folks in Texas and especially transgender women of color, black transgender women have faced really um, stunning and scary levels of violence in the state um, so I know that will be an effort as well
0: Absolutely. Good. We are out of time Jessica, thank you so much for being with us the hour flew yep.
2: Thank you so much. Come back again Jessica let's let's talk during the, during the during session During the
0: session, absolutely I would love to
2: and
1: if, if folks, if business owners want to join Texas Competes, it's free at TexasCompetes.org. we'd love to have you
0: Awesome! Great! Thank you very much, and for all of us here Thank at Lambda. Happy, Happy holidays, everybody! Happy holidays. Take care. For Christmas, be best.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I felt a rumble in
2: my heart
1: over the mountains as the engine ate the spark.